Welcome to the Envision Together, Going to Our Next Level of Best podcast. I'm your host, Pamela Mishana. Join me on this bi-weekly journey of empowerment, where you'll hear hands-on advice from lifestyle experts, educators, authors, spiritual leaders, and many more who will share tips on how to triumph personally, professionally, and spiritually. We explore timely topics such as overcoming anxiety and fear, educating the reluctant student, cultivating lasting relationships, and strengthening our faith. My hope is that the insights offered on the show will help us envision ourselves using our unique gifts and talents on greater levels for greater purposes. Dr. Cassandra McNair, co-director of Black Schools and director of special education at the Riverside County Office of Education. Cassandra Monique McNair, EDD, is a lifelong educator. She has served as a preschool teacher, special education teacher, special education principal, elementary school principal, college professor, former educational administration program coordinator for a California university, and coordinator of special education. Her passion for educational justice is fueled by her desire to educate those who have been written off by society. By empowering African-American students and their families, Dr. McNair seeks to broaden her reach by transforming the mindsets of students that may keep them from achieving at their highest levels. Welcome, welcome to Envision Together, going to our next level of best podcast. Dr. McNair. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. I'm so excited to be able to pick your brain by asking you a few questions that I've drafted, some in collaboration with parents of school-age children. Are you ready to jump right in? I'm ready. Okay. Please tell us how the roles you've played in education has given shape to who you are today, professionally and personally. I would have to say that in thinking about, you know, all the roles and you've, you know, read my bio and sometimes I'm like, whoa, that's me. Um, I would have (laughs) to really say that I know it's crazy. So over the last 19 years, I'm having all of these roles. It definitely has shaped me, you know, professionally because I have had to be, you know, like as the Bible says, like all things to all people. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, I've been a preschool teacher and, and even, you know, before being a preschool teacher, just having a love for, for children and families, yeah. I would have to say really has developed and shaped just my world. Mm-hmm. Um, because I feel like that, you know, the family unit is so oftentimes, you know, it's just so many different family structures that exist right now mm-hmm. and people are neglected along the way. And so just kind of supporting family, supporting parents, and then also, you know, ultimately supporting children and their upbringing is really the base of why I do what I do. I love it because, you know, family is the foundation of society. Mm -hmm. Exactly. (laughs) Start there. Okay. I'm just so happy to learn um, about what's guiding you. And I do notice that you said that your, your faith plays a role. I think Mm -hmm. that's a good thing. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And you know, like Jesus, he even said that children are a gift from, from him and they're like, you know, and a a reward from him. And 
it's so unfortunate that sometimes in today's society that children are are written off or they're misunderstood. Um, and even when traumatic things happen in the world, mm-hmm. sometimes people think that it's not going to affect the children like it does. But really, they're the ones that, you know, walk around with trauma that they can't explain. And so I just feel like as the reward that children are, that we should be the advocates for them mm-hmm. and be able to support them in whatever situations they've been put into. Because most of the time, especially when they're younger, they're brought into this world, into these situations. They don't ask for it. Yes. Wow. I think you're so on target. Listening to you just now, I'm even thinking of, I might need to bring you back because I have some episodes (laughs) coming up (laughs) having to do with anxiety and fear and trauma. How we as adults we're responding to things, traumatic events in our childhood, and we don't even realize how it's driving us today. Yeah, we don't think about that. And so like from personal experience, my father was killed in a car accident when I was six years old. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, he left my mom as a widow at 26. And just think, my mom was 26 with two little kids. My, My brother and I, we were four and six. And just think if I didn't have, and I will never forget, there's a lot of memories of my early education years that I don't remember. But I remember and recall going to a private school where they literally planted a tree in honor of my father. Mm. And that's what made like my educational career like start off so well because I knew that the people, you know, at my school in first grade, I knew that they cared about me because they they planted a tree for my dad. I mean like who does that? Wow. <laughs> and so wow. I look back on that and I reflect on that experience. I want to be there for other kids that have unfortunate events happen to them, you know, to be that source and that safe place. Because if I didn't feel school was a safe place, then, you know, my elementary years could have gone completely different. Yes. That's a beautiful story. And I think that's a powerful example that a lot of educators and parent groups can glean from. Uh, Mm -hmm. That's a unique way to support a child. And I'm glad you shared that with us. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Because it's not like, you know, usually like they send flowers to the parent and they, they do things for the parent. But, you know, what are we doing for the kids? And so that's kind of just from personal experience, how it's kind of shaped my world as a as an educator. Wow. Okay. Thanks so much. I have a few other things I'd like to share. (laughs) So speaking from the chair that you sit in now, what is the most important teaching and learning issue of today? Not necessarily pandemic related. I would say just the lack of empathy that I would say is the teaching and learning issue. And I know it's not a classroom thing, you know, something that teachers learn in school, but I think it's the largest issue. One of the roles that I that I sit in, as well as being the director of special education for the county of Riverside, is that I also serve as one of the instructors of curriculum and instruction for the University of Redlands. Mm. And one of the things that I always integrate into my course is just the whole concept of empathy, because one of the things that 
we know is that if a student doesn't feel connected, then they're going to be unable to learn. Um, And so it's ensuring that educators know what empathy looks like and what true connection looks like. You could say, I shake all my students' hands when they walk through the door, but are you looking them in the eye? Do you remember their names? Do you call them by their actual names? Or are you making up something because it's easier for you to pronounce? So it's really just looking into the empathy and the connection. And I would have to say that's the largest issue because it's directly correlated with how students learn. It really is. Relationship is the foundation of everything. If you get that Right. right, it opens the door to so much more. One of my mantras and a saying that I kind of just created that guides me as an educator is I say, you have to touch the heart to teach the mind. So Completely. if you don't first try to make that relationship connection with students, mm-hmm. they, they don't open the door to you for you to then pour into their minds. Right, right. That's so true. And I think a lot of people actually don't, they don't make that connection, even no, educators. No, they don't. And it's not something that you can learn from a book. So that's why I think it's important that as a director that I'm helping my principals and psychologists and related service providers to understand that we need to make those connections and have that that empathy. So nice to say like, oh, just have the sympathy. But no, you actually need to to make that connection with those that you are are serving with. Mm -hmm. And the thing I liked about the example you just gave is you're saying that as you teach people, you're not just saying you, you have to make a connection. You're giving them examples of what that looks like. So that's powerful work. Yes, for sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, My next thing I'd like to ask you about is, do you think that diversity and inclusion methodologies are important? Why or why not? And I think our last question and your response is <laughs> great lead into this. <laughs> totally. So diversity and inclusion, those are like journeys. Mm-hmm. You know, I would have to say that sometimes people look at them as check boxes, mm-hmm. but really diversity and inclusion are journeys that are definitely important and should be pillars to all educational institutions um, because we shouldn't just look for, you know, let's make sure we have like one African-American, one Asian, one Hispanic. No, that it's more than that. But it's looking at how are we reaching diverse group of people? Because if you think about it, say you have, you know, I was an elementary school principal before and I had 40 teachers or so on my staff. Well, those 40 teachers have 40 different backgrounds that led them to the point of teaching in those classrooms. And so if those teachers have such different methodologies that they're walking in with, then what about the students that are in those courses? We could easily have hundreds and hundreds of stories. And we do have hundreds and hundreds of stories. And so without having diverse and inclusive practices, then there will be some students that we ultimately will be unable to educate. And also some educators may not reach their full potential if they do not have leaders that understand their diverse background right. and their where they've come from. And then the inclusion, you know, is lost because they won't feel included because the diversity is just lacking. 
I love that. And I, I really like the way you dealt with the importance of us using diversity and inclusion methodologies with students, but you spoke to leaders, principals, directors, taking yeah. that into account as they provide PD or just have relationships with adult colleagues. Yes. It's so important to help people see the ways in which they shine and value it so that they can then share that in the classroom. That's what everybody needs. Sometimes people don't mm-hmm. know that because of their unique backgrounds, they have valuable things that all of the kids sitting in the classroom need to be exposed to. Sometimes people yeah. don't even see their own gifts and talents or the things that's in their treasure box. Right. So for sure. And they and they miss it because, you know, the person sitting next to you definitely has a life experience that you literally could glean from and ultimately be a better person by learning what the person sitting next to you has. I'll never forget one staff meeting at the elementary school. We did coats of honor and coats of arms. And so we actually did a student activity, but as a staff and it was just empowering to see those that were impacted by first-generation college students that were sitting in the room Mm -hmm. that are now successful and tenured teachers and just to hear about their journeys and their family traditions and you know because sometimes we can just look at culture as something that's so shallow Mm -hmm. but really you know and, and and literally avoid the deep culture but really as we go deeper and get away from that shallow um waters we can really make those those connections and really learn from each other. True. And it's so important. I think people don't realize the extent that it's important for people to see people who look like them being successful in roles that they don't normally see in their everyday life experience. They don't know what's possible until they see an example of it. And it just adds another layer to see someone who looks like you being the principal, being the talk show host. How many yeah. people did Oprah inspire? <laughs> um, right, right. Or the doctor is powerful in so many ways. It is. It is. So I believe the way I've organized these questions, and I didn't do it on purpose, they're leading beautifully into the next. <laughs> <laughs> So my next question is, how would you explain the need for culturally relevant instructional materials to your closest white friend who really wants to understand but doesn't get it? So I love this question. (laughs) Yeah, I, I love this question because I think about all of the different things that have happened in the world. Just, you know, I would say my last 20 years or so in education. You know, I, I, I'm taking a breath because here's the thing. <laughs> My friends know when I say here's the thing, they're like, uh oh. Okay, so give it to us. <laughs> when we, yeah. So when we, when we think about culturally relevant instructional materials, I always take the fir- the first thing, the first step as in looking at the internet. So when the internet first came, we had the dial up that. No one could talk on the phone and be on the internet at the same time. 
now we have like wireless Wi-Fi. We barely use, you know, everyone has a hotspot because it's already built into their phones. And so we've progressed from this wireless or this, you know, wired, you can't talk on the phone and be in the internet AOL to mm-hmm. everything at the at your fingertips. We've gone from large Apple computers with large floppy disks larger than a CD <laughs> to streaming services that what is a CD? You know, we've gone to the A track to cassette tape to CDs to again streaming services. Mm-hmm. And so putting that all together, it's the same with culturally relevant materials to me. Mm-hmm. You know, we have all of these things that we used to do that were great in its time. Yes. But I also believe that it's time for us to move away from from that and incorporating it with the things that are, you know, that are new. Mm-hmm. Now, again, I'm not throwing the baby away with the bathwater. Right. And so I do feel that some of the basics are correct. However, I think that there just needs to be room for the culturally relevant conversations. Because like, if we take, for example, To Kill a Mockingbird, the students could easily say, that sounds like a story that I just heard on the news. Because (laughs) unfortunately, in today's society, those things are still happening. Yes. And it's all in the way of how things are taught. So yes, we need to have room for culturally relevant instruction. However, just like we've moved from dial-up to wireless and from A-tracks to streaming services, is the same way we need to move through curriculum of experiencing the changes and the trends in these instructional materials. And if we aren't willing to exchange all of the titles for, for new titles that are relevant to our students, then we need to teach them in a different way. So it's, you know, taking the standards and I always used to tell teachers when I was in the at a site is I want you to teach the standard. Right. Now, how you teach critical thinking, how you teach main idea and detail, you know, that's up to you. But give them the, also the caveat is how much more interested would a student be if they had a character or a storyline that they're able to identify with than something that is stale and old. Would you want the dial up or do you want the Wi-Fi? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Because it's (laughs) because it's like you want something that makes sense, but then also there's something that the students are going to buy into. But when you're again connected to students, then you understand what they're even saying. I always just tell people like I ask my teenagers, they're like my best intel. And if you don't have teenagers of your own, then you need to find a trusted one to give you what's new and what's relevant. And so that's how I would explain it to my closest friend who wants to understand but doesn't get it. But mm-hmm. like you would want to know. So for example, like the new thing with the kids is when something tastes really good, then it's busting. So, you know, it's busting, busting. And so at first when I started using it, they were like, mom, that sounds so weird coming from you. I was like, right. I said, but the thing about it is, is I know how to use it and I know why you're using it. And so what if teachers knew that? Exactly. That's a connection right there. And we have to be willing to evolve in our profession. Um, Yes. Who wants a doctor that still uses the same methods as 50 years ago, 30 years ago? Exactly. I wouldn't. I wouldn't either. (laughs) 
as times change and kids are again saturated with social media and so much technology we have to evolve with the things that they find interesting so whether it's technology adding more technology learning the slang of today being versatile in so many ways all of those are ways that we reach students but all we're saying about having culturally relevant material is there's a group of kids who need that too maybe not all but some do so whatever yep. we can do to help even one we should be willing to roll our sleeves up and get it done <laughs> exactly exactly i agree what advice can you give parents about what they should do when they receive their child's state exam or district-wide assessment results and their child is basic or below? This came straight from a parent. So this question is, I'm trying to control my laughter over here. <laughs> um, this question is so funny to me because I'm that parent that literally opens up uh, my kids' results. And then I say, oh, okay. And I have like, I have three kids and they are completely different scholars. Mm -hmm. I have one who is, I would have to say, he's not lazy, but he's extremely laid back, but doesn't need to study and gets great grades. Wow. <laughs> and, you know, he, well, honestly, he's the kid. He passed seven out of nine AP exams skipped a whole year in college and will be graduating okay. in the spring with a political science undergrad. And he barely studies. Like he just will play video games all day. And then my middle child. I still want to say congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Oh yeah. I'm super, I'm super happy for him and for me too, you mm -hmm. know, cause it saved me a whole year of college tuition. Then there's my middle son who's an athlete who it's like, did you do your homework? Did you do your homework? Do I need to call the teacher? Okay, I'm going to meet with the teacher. And so I go through that with him. And then my daughter, she's kind of a mixture of both. Mm -hmm. And so I would tell parents, just like how, you know, I deal with all my kids differently. That's mm -hmm. how they should treat the state exams and the district-wide assessments. That they should look at their child to see if their child even tried. Because that's a rule at my house. You just have to try. Exactly. And if you don't try, then I'll have a problem. If you're trying and it just doesn't work out for you, then that's fine. Because, um, and I think another question we're going to talk about today is about a college education. But it kind of goes along with that where mm -hmm. I feel like college isn't for everyone. Mm -hmm. And so as you're looking at your child's state exam or district-wide assessment results, Yes, they're an important benchmark so that you can see where your children rank with other children in that district and in the state. But at the at the end of the day, as an involved parent, you should know what your child knows. And as long as they are doing their very best, you should not worry about the number that is on their state exams or district-wide assessments. And as a district employee, I say I have said the same thing for the last 18 years. Yes, I think high test scores are amazing when students are trying and applying. Now, if they are just considerably low, then I'm asking questions like, what does the testing environment look like? Did what, they play what, connect the dots? <laughs> right, right. So I'm looking like, 
was someone actually proctoring the exam or was someone sitting at their desk? So what, what does that whole testing environment look like? Mm-hmm. And as a parent, I would want to know from my student, did you feel that the, the, the environment was conducive for you to take a test? Mm-hmm. Um, did you feel like you tried? Was the test given at a day or at a time of day that you felt the freshest? So I'm really looking at the overall pictures. Um, but if my child just consistently schedule uh, scores below, then I would be asking, are their grades inflated? And I would be looking at the correlation between the assessment results and their grades and to see if there's any connection. And if I feel like my students have really high grades and they keep scoring low and they said that the testing environment was good and I've talked to the person that's proctored the exam um, and they said that the student was trying then I'll be looking to see if there's some kind of testing anxiety or something that's associated with tests and my students. So there's just like a variety of things that I would look for because, you know, like, for example, when mine come, I look at them, but I really don't make that big of a deal because I don't want to create additional levels of test anxiety for them. True. I love that. It's as if we have read the same book. <laughs> uh, On parenting, uh, being an educator. And the funny thing about it is we've never discussed these things together. (laughs) At all. My response is just the same. Take the pressure off. Sometimes, and especially if you're an educator and a parent, we tend to be these A types and we need perfection. We need straight A's. We need you to get it done. And we think somehow it's some kind of reflection of us if you don't. (laughs) And um, I found that we have to give students the space to fail a little. Yeah. Struggle. Learning is not easy. If in fact, it's not a solid learning environment. If there's not a degree of struggle, if everything is coming super easy, um, Mm -hmm. what do you need the teachers for? You already know. In learning, there's an element of struggle of, and we need to help parents and students remember that that's a natural process. Mm -hmm. That's part of learning. I think we, we talk about it like, oh, you should just be able to do this, do that. But we need to reflect on our own schooling. Mm -hmm. There were things, there were certain subjects that were a challenge for me, but I got it over time. Or I just developmentally was not ready at a certain age, but it clicked for me later on. Yeah. All of that is true for our kids sitting in our classrooms today and Mm -hmm. our children in our homes. (laughs) Give some space. That is not to say don't have an eye out. Don't communicate with with the school and make sure that your kid is not uh, just goofing off. Or let's just keep it real. Sometimes... Maybe a teacher isn't doing all that they should be doing, uh-huh. but you have to look at it from every angle. You can't go to the school saying, my kid's an angel, so it's it's your school and your teachers that's not getting it right. And you right. also can't say, my kid is just a lost cause and everybody at the school is for my kid. <laughs> So yeah. you, you have to engage in such a way that you can sort through all of these scenarios. What role 
does human capital and social capital play in public school education? I would have to say it's huge. I used to tease because I was a principal of a magnet school mm-hmm. at one time that there was like an underground network because sometimes before I even knew things that were happening on my campus, I had a parent calling me on the phone to tell me about it. And so human and social capital is super duper important. It it plays roles, of course, we know in the lives of the educators on the campus, but more so for for the students. What's your I, understanding I to, of human capital for our listeners that may not quite follow? So for human capital, I'm looking at, you know, who do you have relationship with? Yes. Um, I'm looking at who who do you talk to? Where are you hanging out, you know, on the weekend? And then really just thinking about the knowledge that a person has about the the place. So for example, the human capital as it relates to the assessment question that we just discussed is, do the parents even know that there's a proctor in the room that's given the exam? Mm-hmm. So do they even have that knowledge base of, of, of the exam? So mm-hmm. do they have like the background knowledge right. of the world of education? So human capital is just, you know, it's important. It's what you Let have. me jump in um, a little bit and add to that. Sure. When you talk about the knowledge base, I oftentimes like to use educators as an example. If my child is in school and they're struggling in math, biology, science, English, whatever the case may be, I know someone directly who can help. That's giving my daughter an unfair advantage Uh simply because of who we have access to. Sometimes I think what we need to do is teach parents how to form some of those relationships and take advantage of the human capital that is available. And if they know that they don't have any readily available, talk to the school site about how they can make those kind of connections, what resources are there. Yeah. And that's, you know, part of the social capital as well, because that's also the relationship piece. Mm -hmm. So we have that knowledge base, but then we have the relationships. Um, And so I feel like the connection of the two is important. Like you said, I know that if my kid needed something at San Diego State, I know someone who works in the registrar's office. So that provides me with the human and the social capital to really get something done for my child. And so as it relates to public school, it's just important to, you know, be a part of those parent groups as often as you can, as much as you can. But if not, find someone who is. So where are the kids going on the weekends? So if we know that the kids are at the baseball field or the parents are at the baseball field, then, you know, I've gone out to the baseball field, built relationships with those parents so that they could also assist me in navigating the public school system. Right. So, you know, it's not just who you know, but it is, you know, what you knowing... Know. <laughs> Yeah, knowing yeah. what you know. The two work together, yeah. Yes, and using what you know to your advantage to navigate the system. Exactly. Thank yep. you. Thank you for that response. Reflecting on how you helped your own children successfully navigate in school, what one gym would you share with parents to help their kids achieve at a similar level of success that you expected from your children? I would say that um, one gym 
is that my children don't have to learn in the same way that I learn. And so that is just, you know, as an educator, there's so much pressure. You know, they know that our home is filled with, you know, books and things like that. So have a standard of what, you know, you want it to look like for them, but just allow them to navigate it in their way and, you know, be that that guide for them and they'll make it. Thank you so much, Dr. McNeil. <laughs> and one thing I love about you is you're so humble. You you're okay with Dr. McNeil. You're okay with Cassandra. Um, you're just a real person, and I yeah. love the work you're doing out there to make things <laughs> better, not just for you and yours, but for the many and the masses. So thank you so much for oh, you're very joining welcome. us today on Envision Together, going to our next level of best. I am confident that the information you shared today is going to help and bless so many people to um, support their children in school. Well, thank you for having me. Of course. (laughs) Thank you for accepting. Well, friends, Thanks for joining me for another episode of the Envision Together, going to our next level of best podcast. I hope today's topic inspired you to envision a brighter future getting to your next level of best and to urge others to reach theirs as well. If you are encouraged by today's episode, subscribe and share it with your family and friends. Also, please write a review. It will help me to reach a wider audience with a message of hope and inspiration. Don't forget to follow me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, and share your thoughts about today's episode. Until next time, envision the future you want to see.